Valley Bible Baptist. So have at us again, Brother Matoyan. Peach and preach and how it all kind of comes together. And so let's go ahead and open our Bibles this morning to the book of First um, Samuel chapter number 7. And um, we finished up that uh, lesson, those lessons that I was doing on um, the church planting lessons from Paul the Apostle. And so we wrapped that up, and now we, um, whatever pastor has me preaching, though different, different things, I was uh, preaching about the, the presence of God. And so the last time I preached, we preached out of second, or 1 Samuel chapter 7, um, dealing with um, restoring the presence of God. And so I'm going to just kind of review what we looked at last time, and then we'll um, continue on here. But before we um, review, let's go ahead and read the scriptures. And so um, 1 Samuel chapter number 7 Beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, And the men of Kirgath-Jearim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode at Kirgath-Jearim that the time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Astaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of the Israel did put away Balaam and Astaroth, and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together at Mizpah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And uh, we'll go ahead and stop there, and uh, we'll go ahead and pray, and then uh, take some time to review what we're looking at, and then uh, continue on here. So let's pray here. Father, as we come to you, Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for what we learned from it. And God, just this example and illustration of restoring your presence in our life. And God, we pray that you would help us to see the need that we have today, how we need you, Lord, how we need to seek you, God, how we need to put you first in our life. And God, we just pray that you would stir us and convict us and change us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen. And so as we read this passage of Scripture, I just want to go over a few thoughts again. Um, last time we looked at this, we saw three main points, and the first was that of the memory of the presence of God. Understand this here, that they had the Ark of the Covenant, and while the Ark of the Covenant wasn't the actual presence of God, it often represented the presence of God. And whenever you read in the Bible, and you see them making the Ark of the Covenant, and what they did with it, it was often, as they went through the wilderness, the Ark of the Covenant that led the way through the wilderness, and there would be a, a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night, and that represented that God was with His people. It was with that Ark of the Covenant that whenever they went into the Promised Land, they crossed the River Jordan, and the priests were to take the Ark of the Covenant, and it said that the, the River Jordan, it was the time of the year that the banks were full. Um, it was runoff time, if you would, and uh, they stepped into this mighty river, and as soon as they stepped into the river with the Ark of the Covenant, the water made a heap and they crossed on dry ground. Now understand this, if you were to stop the water from flowing in any river, um, as soon as it stopped flowing, 
you would see a bunch of mud. There would not be any dry ground. And if you stepped in, um, depending on um, just the type of water and the dirt that's there, as far as, uh, you know, if it's flowing hard, if there's rocks and all these different things, but if it was um, just sand and dirt, um, you could sink in as deep as your knee. I mean, just like that. I mean, and, and so it's, it's an unusual thing that they saw, but that was where the Ark of the Covenant was there and God was with his people and there was this memory of God doing work work among them um, and giving them victory. Um, you remember the children of Israel, they marched around the wall of Jericho. Um, they, they marched around one day and then another day and another day and, and so forth. And, and then on the last day, they marched around seven times and they blew the trumpets and so forth. But what marched around with them whenever they marched around? It was the Ark of the Covenant. And, and so this memory of revival, this memory of God blessing, this memory of God doing a work among them, they had, but now they're lamenting for it. They're crying for it. They're seeking God. God, we need you to work again. And, and I didn't mention this last time, but I'm going to mention it here today. You know, I praise God for everything he's done in the past. But, but let me say this. We're living today. And we as God's people need to move forward today with what God has given us. And so many times people in the Christian life, they say, well, in years past God used to work. And in years past, well, we need God today. Isn't God the same yesterday, today, and forever? And if he could do it then, he could do it now. But sadly, we live in the past, and sometimes we even idolize the past, as if God could only work in the past and he can't work today. And so we see this passage of Scripture, there was this memory of revival, but they needed God today, because there was a battle that they were facing today. And if God could work back then, God can work today. I believe that. And so um, we see here this memory of revival not only was there a memory of revival, but they were mourning for revival. It said there again that they lamented after the Lord at the end of verse number 2. And so they, they knew that they were missing something in their spiritual life. They knew that they were missing the, the presence of God. And while God didn't cast them off, um, they didn't have God's power the way they used to. And they, they recognized that. And let me say this, uh, um, when you're saved, you're saved for time and eternity. Amen? And uh, God doesn't cast us off, but sometimes we don't have God's power in our life the way we ought to. And they knew that they needed God's power, so they were lamenting after the Lord. They were mourning for revival. They were seeking God. They needed God to work in their life, and so they were mourning for revival. Um, and then we see here um, also the, the message of revival. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 real quickly. The Bible says, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Astaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Astaroth, and served the Lord only. And so the message of revival we see here, it had three parts. Um, it was a message to return unto the Lord. They had went away from God, and now they're returning to the Lord. It was a message of repentance. With that going away to other gods, it brought a lot of sin along with it. Uh, let me, as you read history and, and, and pagan cultures in particular, idols had certain sins that came along with them. 
Specific idols had specific sins that they glorified. Um, one, one thing that uh, we, we see there is an idol um, that was worshipped that had the name of Isthar, um, is what history tells us, and that's where the roots come from, the, the name Easter. And so we celebrate the resurrection, amen? But this god Isthar was a god of fertility, and uh, they would uh, um, often have these pagan celebrations where people would come together and be immoral in large groups of people for the purpose of conceiving children to sacrifice to gods. And so the symbols of Isthar were eggs and bunnies. And so that's where you get this from. And so just giving you some history here. So you look at that and you see this pagan god brought sinful practices, immorality that came along with it. And whenever you look at the children of Israel and the different gods that they worshipped, those gods often had certain sins that they um, made uh, prevalent. If, if you would, you think of uh, Molech was another god and it's just a horrible thing to consider but Molech was a god that they, they, they made this huge statue and they would would put an altar under the hands of this statue and they would get the, the fires burning and they would get those fires burning and the hands would become red hot and then they would have the babies that they conceived in immorality and they would often, um, either the woman would give birth or they would take the baby out manually, I mean, quote a C-section if you would, get that baby and put it on top of those hands on the altar and burn the baby alive unto the god Molech. And God said, you've caused your children to pass through the fire, is what he told them. And, and so, I mean, that's horrible. That, that is extremely horrible to sacrifice a child. And, and we see that in our day and age. And it may not be the god Molech, but you consider abortion. And, well, I have work, and I have a life, and I have a lifestyle, and so I'm going to sacrifice my baby to make my life continue the way it is because I don't want this inconvenience in my life. And it's horrible to see that, but that's one of the prevalent sins um, that are out there. And we can go on and on about uh, returning to the Lord and, and repenting and, and, and recognizing I have this sin. I need to give it to the Lord and, and seek His forgiveness. And so that was the message of revival, a message of um, return, a message of repentance, but it was also a message of reverence. Serve the Lord only, is what he said at the end of verse number four. Um, absolute reverence and respect to God and God alone. No other gods. Um, first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he said, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. I've mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again. Um, Envy and jealousy are two different things. Um, envy is saying, I want what you have. Um, jealousy is saying, don't take what I have. God redeemed his people out of Egypt. He, he gave them a land of promise. He, they were his people and they went to other gods. And he said, I don't want to lose my people to other gods. And so he was jealous for his people. And so the message was of reference to God. Only God do we serve. No other gods. If you're here today and you're saved, the Bible says that you've been bought with a price and uh, we belong to God. Amen. And we shouldn't go after the gods. There shouldn't be anything that comes between us and God. And so there's this respect and reverence uh, unto God only. That was the message of revival. Today we're going to look at probably just one point here today. Um, we have several more um, along this lesson as we go through this chapter here. Um, the messenger of revival. Um, next time we study, we'll probably look at the marks of revival, um, and then a, a movement against a revival, and then the monument 
of revival, but uh, the messenger of revival. So here's the thing. Everybody loves revival. They want to see God do a work. But when God sends revival, He always sends a prophet. As, as you read in the Bible, every time God's people need to come back, He sends a prophet. And I've just come to the conclusion that uh, if God sends a prophet to a place, it's because He wants to send revival to a place. And now when we look at it today, we don't have the same type of prophets in the sense that I can go to a prayer closet and get a direct message from God and then come here and say, you know what, God said if you don't return to the Lord that, uh, you know, your car is going to break down and this kind of stuff's going to happen and you're going to be judged. I, I don't have that type of divine revelation. Um, no preacher has that type of divine revelation. Those things were done away with in, in the, when the canon of Scripture was complete, meaning when we got Matthew, or excuse me, um, Genesis through, through Revelation and all the Word of God was complete, we have all the message God wants us to have. And so we're not going to get some other kind of message, especially if it contradicts the Bible. We have everything we need. The reason for those gifts, they're called sign gifts, was because anybody can get up and just say, well, God told me this. And they would say, well, is it thus saith the Lord or not? And so they would have to prove them. And if the prophet's words didn't come true, they would kill them. For that they were stoned them because they represented the Lord God and they represented Him and they lied about His name. We're not to take God's name in vain, amen? And they in vain bared God's name and said something in His name that didn't come to pass, making, making either God a liar or the prophet a liar. Well, we know God is no liar, so the prophet would end up being killed. So God takes His word very serious, amen? But He has now given to us His complete scripture so we don't need some kind of miracle to validate whether or not the preacher is preaching the truth because we have the truth right here, amen? And so we don't need sign gifts anymore, but there are still within a church body different uh, spiritual gifts and prophet is one of them. Now, what, what that means is the prophet, their personality types are black and white. What does the Bible say? Thus saith the Lord or not? And, and that sort of thing. There's other gifts, you know, mercy, where they understand the black and white, but they're merciful with people who, who you know, maybe they're in the gray area or in the wrong and that kind of stuff. There's, you know, in, 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 people who admonish and, and different things and givers and administrators and all these different gifts within a church body. But prophet is part of that. And God raises up people who are prophet-minded to, to, to just draw the line in the sand and say, this is what God said. Now we need to follow follow it, and if not, we're in sin. That's it. And so, so there's the messenger of revival. So often, people love the result of revival, but they have a hard time with the messenger of revival. And let me say this, it's not uncommon. Um, you read in the Bible at the end of Second Chronicles, you see the Bible says that God had compassion on His people and that He sent them messengers, those were the prophets, to, to warn them betimes, uh, just again and again and, and so forth. And, and it says that they, they misused the prophets and despised their words, is what the Bible said. And they got to the point that there was no remedy for them other than God Himself having to judge those people. I'm thankful that the people in this chapter of the Bible that we just read of listened to the prophet. They listened to the prophet. They listened to the messenger of revival. So when we think of this messenger of revival, let me say this first. Um, he was a man of preaching. Now let me, under, let me make something known here today. I, just, I read a, an article, Pastor Jeff Carr from 
uh, Mesa Baptist Church shared this, and then I started seeing some other articles, uh, other preachers shared, and I said, I better read this. It seems pretty good. And the title of the article was, Has Our Music and Church Become Pagan? And, and it built up a, a premise that in pagan cultures, they use music as a means of worship to, to build up and they get their, their music going and da 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 and they have these feasts and, and all the immorality and drunkenness and everything and it's always centered around music. But with God's people, if we're going to worship, it's not centered around music. Now we worship through music, but music isn't the primary focus. Jesus Christ said, um, the true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. Where do we get truth from? The Word of God. Our worship, part of our worship involves preaching. It involves preaching. And if, if the, the music supersedes the preaching, we're crossing that borderline of becoming pagan in our worship. It's what is the truth? What does the Word of God say? And so forth. And so when we look at this, there were no songs whenever he preached. That there was no choir, and I'm not against those things. That there was none of those things there. It was just a man of God getting up saying, Thus saith the Lord, and the people getting right with God and serving Him. And God, I believe, considered that worship before Him. Just a man of preaching. And we have belittled preaching so much so that churches, um, their pulpits are getting smaller and smaller, and they're even disappearing. And, and then a preacher just, and, and let me say, if a, if a preacher has a disability, I understand it. You know, I, I know a preacher that had MS. He couldn't stand and preach anymore. He had to sit in a chair and that kind of stuff. He couldn't even hardly walk. It was a miracle just to get him to the pulpit. I, I get that. I'm not trying to belittle a situation like that. But so often, we've made church services where they're just so casual, and they just sit on, the, on their, on their chairs, and they have a little table and they're drinking a latte and, and kind of just sharing a good word for maybe 20 minutes and then they sing for an hour. Um, that's not what brings revival. That's not what brings revival. It, it's opening up the Word of God and preaching the Word of God. And that's what this man did. He was a man of preaching. The Bible says, preach the Word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Um, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust uh, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, it says, and, and they'll turn, be turned away unto fables, is what the Bible says. And we're seeing that in our culture where people can't handle Bible preaching. They can't even sit in a church service for a full service without, you know, having to get up and do this and that and, and, and all that. And, and, and yet we need preaching. This was a man of preaching. And if we're going to see revival, it's going to come back to messengers coming back and preaching the word of God. What is thus saith the Lord? He was a man of preaching. And we say this, he was a man of prayer. You look there at verse number five. We read his sermon in verses 3 and 4, verse 5, And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you under the Lord. And you look at verse number 8, as the Philistines were drawing near. It says, And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistine. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried, Unto the Lord, that's prayer right there, cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. He was a man of preaching, he was a man of prayer, you see. 
And that's one thing, that the two go hand in hand. I said this last week regarding what's more important, reading your Bible or praying. And Mr. Spurgeon said, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? Amen. We need both in our daily walk and so forth. We need the Word of God and we need prayer. And this man was a man of prayer. I remember one thing I talked. I mentioned, Pastor Jeff Carr from Mesa Baptist Church. I've gone to his church several times and have um, done some work for him, made some of his, some of his banners and, and uh, gospel tracts and so forth. And, and I would go, and I was working in the office of his youth pastor. We're working on stuff, and then I'd say, well, let, let's go ask the pastor what he thinks about this design. i go and knock on the door, and every time I'd go and knock on the door, the pastor, he had his office set up where you walk in, and on the left was his desk, and he had a couch right here, and then a bookshelf on the back wall, and then there was a little a sink and a little bathroom and, and that kind of stuff. And then on the right side, it was a closet. And whenever I'd knock on the door, I would, you know, the door was open, I'd knock and I'd look in, and he was never in his desk. He would always come out of his closet. And, and, and he said, oh, I'm sorry, um, you know, sorry, sorry, sorry to keep you waiting. I, I was in my closet and, and so forth. And, and I said, is that a prayer closet? And he said, it is. And he goes, whenever we remodeled the building, I made sure that um, we made a room that was a prayer closet. And he had a room in there, and he went in there, and he had a box of um, magazines for AR-15s. I don't know why that was in there. He, he gave it to every preacher, I guess, that would come in. And then he had, had written all the different names of different families in his church, and, um, and then he would have different names of people he was praying for to get saved, and different things, and he had it written all around his wall there, and he spent time in his prayer closet, and, and, and that, I noticed that that first time, and I went and worked for him several times doing these designs, and about once a year I'd go out and do that, and then every time when I go and knock on his door, he'd come out of that closet. I thought, man, that, that's such a blessing to see someone take the Word of God so literal, amen, and, and not just be, you know, one that, and I, I granted we go and pray, we can go walk around our house and, and pray, that kind of stuff, we can get down on our knees and in our bedroom and pray and gather as a family and hold hands and pray, I get that, but he took it so literal that he, when they remodeled his building, um, and he, he built a closet just so he could pray in, and that's, and I thought that was just, it blessed my heart to see that, and as I look at that, you know, prophets of the Lord, men of God, they can't get their message unless they spend time with God. It's just so simple there. And if we don't spend time with the Lord, what we have is a man-made message is all it is. And let me say this, as, as a preacher, um, you begin to learn how to write sermons and it becomes, quote, easy to be able to just put together an outline and just stand up and, and that kind of stuff and, and give the word. But if we're going to see God do a work, we're going to have to make sure that we spend time with God. We need to spend time with God. And so you see him, he was a man of preaching, he was a man of prayer. Not only that, he was a man of purity. And that's a big thing there. He was a pure man. And if we're going to seek God, we as God's people, um, let me just make a mention here real quick. Yes, we have the messenger of God who preaches the message of God, but he don't want to preach it to a bunch of empty chairs. The people of God need to be there to hear the message of God as well. So if we're looking to a messenger to give us a message, then we need to be present when he gives his message. It's pretty simple, amen? And so if we're going to hear from God, we need to be 
under preaching. It's a two-way highway there. You know, he gives the word and we receive the word. Amen. And that's how it should be. And I, I said this before because I can't emphasize enough just faithfulness in church, but every major decision I ever made was made in church. Every single one to get saved, to get baptized. When God called me to preach, um, when God, um, when, when I got married, the preacher preached a 45-minute sermon as we were standing up there holding hands in the spotlights and that kind of stuff. I mean, he preached. We were in church. We had a church service for our wedding. It wasn't necessarily planned, but we did. Amen. And, and you see, God worked in those things. Uh, whenever God called us to Taos, it was in a church service. Amen. Um, whenever we were in church and and God uh, dealt with us and the invitation and so forth there in Albuquerque and we're at Real Grand Baptist Church I'll say this when God began to tell us to leave Taos and to come here we were sitting right over there and Brother Hoffmeister was preaching the mission conference and he preached a sermon about faith and he said when was the last time you did something for the first time and, and you need to move forward for God and it was three years ago whenever God began to deal with me it was in a church service whenever that stuff happened what I'm trying to say is Preaching is important, amen? We look at a messenger of God. We need to be in the house of God to hear the preaching of the Word of God, amen? And so um, there, there's the preaching, but all of us can be people of prayer. And all of us can be people of purity. God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. So when we think of this man as a pure man, I, I want to say this first. He was set apart from his birth. Go back to chapter number 1, 1 Samuel Chapter number one, and we'll read a couple verses here in this beginning chapter, the beginning chapters of the book. And so, first Samuel, Samuel chapter one, and verse number eleven. Actually, we'll start in verse number nine. So Hannah rose up after that she had eaten in Shiloh, and after that she, they had drunk. Now Eli the priest uh, sat upon a seat by a post in the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall um, no razor come upon his head. And so this young man, Samuel, this is where his mother was praying for him, and it was a unique situation. We don't contone polygamy, but she was married to a man who had another wife. And this other wife had several children, and she had no children. And every year they would go and give an offering to the Lord. And, and the children from this other wife, uh, he would give them all their offerings and things like that, but he would give a, a greater portion to Hannah. But she didn't have a child. She was barren. And so one year she goes and she's praying and, and she's weeping and, and she wants a child. And she said, God, I'm going to make you a promise. If you give me a child, I'm going to give this child to you all the days of his life. Understand this. This child knew that he was dedicated to the Lord. And he had a respect to the Lord because of that whenever he grew up. But she, she ended up conceiving a child. And, and so she had made this promise, and when the child was weaned, she took the child to the house of God and gave, her, gave him to the, to the priest that was there at the house of God, and he was raised in the things of God. And he was a, a Nazarite from his birth there. No razor would come upon his head there. And, and so you see this, he, he was set apart from his birth. Um, you look at chapter number 2 in verse number 18. It says, And the, and the priest's custom 
was that the people was the people um, excuse me and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered uh, the sacrifice and the priest servants came while uh, the flesh was seething um, with, with the flesh hook uh, um, of the three teeth uh, in his hand you, you see here this was the the role of a priest I, I wanted to mention that because what I, I read the wrong verse right I just read it. So I read verse 14, and I apologize. There, I was reading the, the part of the priest and what they did there, but you go to verse 18, sorry. It says, in the, um, the Sam, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. And it says, moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it uh, to him um, from year to year when uh, she came up with her husband um, to offer the yearly sacrifice. I read the wrong verses reading what they did there in the priest's custom with the people. But you see here, Samuel um, was a young child and given to the Lord, and, um, and he ministered before the Lord. He, he did the work of the ministry that the priest did as a child. And you see that he was set apart um, from his birth there, and every year his mother would come, and, and she would make him a coat, and he would outgrow the one coat, and, and uh, she would bring him a new coat there. And she did that year after year after year. She, she would do that, and so this young man um, was set apart from his birth. Now, as I think about the divine providence of God, um, we, we believe that God is in control of all things. And when God raises up a messenger, God has a plan for that messenger from its conception, I believe. You read this passage of scripture, it wasn't from his birth that he was dedicated to the Lord. It was even before his birth, amen, that he was dedicated to the Lord. So when he was conceived, he was already set apart unto the Lord. And so that's just a, a pro-life argument there for us there. We as God's people, we could see that in the word of God that, I mean, even before conception, he was already set apart unto the Lord. And so when he was conceived, he was already marked. So God has purpose for conceived children at the moment of conception, amen. And so understand that. But nevertheless, um, he was a child, and he served the Lord. And you see that, that God had a plan for him. Now, I'm going to say this here today, that if we have the ability, we need to involve our children in the ministry of the Lord, in the service of the Lord. We shouldn't bring them to church and let the church serve them. We should bring them to the house of God and get them involved in serving other people. It's just how it should be. And you see, this young man was serving from a young age. Now, let me say this. Not everybody has that opportunity. Not everybody does. And if you didn't have that opportunity, God still has a plan for you. I know of a preacher that was raised a rough life, um, almost killed. He was on trial for the murder of an off-duty officer. And he got saved before that trial, you know. And often that's how it always is. Oh, you got saved before a trial. You just don't want to go to jail kind of thing. But this preacher got saved and, and he promised the Lord, God, if you... Don't let me go to life for prison. I'm going to serve you the rest of my days. And even if I do go to prison, I'm still going to be faithful, but I'll be your preacher. Yeah. And God spared that man. And that man's been preaching. And, and every day he gets his, every year rather, whenever the day was that he should have been sentenced, he, he reminds his wife, you know, it's been 30 years. I should have been in prison, 30 years and so forth. And so that doesn't mean a person can't be used of God if they weren't raised in church. Anybody could be used by God. Amen. God has a purpose for every single person. You today, God has a purpose for you. You've been set apart. So are you doing what God wants you to do? And so this man was a man of purity. He has set apart from his birth. This man was a man of submissiveness. You look at chapter number three. 
chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, And the child Samuel um, ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days, and there was no open vision. I'll, re I'll revisit that in just a moment and explain what that means. But verse number 2, It came to pass at the time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. Eli was the priest. And so ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. So here's Samuel, a child. It says, And the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran to Eli, unto Eli, and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. And so I'm just going to read that portion of Scripture for sake of time, but he's there serving the Lord in the house of God. And, and the Bible says there in verse 1 that the Word of God is precious in those days and there was no open vision. There was no prophet that was known to be preaching there. And it says it was precious, and that's the idea, you know, when you look at uh, um, silver and gold and you invest in precious metals, it's, it's things of rarity is what it is. The Word of God was rare. It was precious like that where it, you, it wasn't easy to get a hold of, amen? It's, it's not easy to get a hold of silver and gold and, and so forth. And so that's the idea of it being precious. There was no open vision. There wasn't a prophet that was preaching the Word of God. The priests that you read there, Eli had two sons that were just vulgar men, and they, they, they were sinful men. And so you would have thought that in the house of God, the, the, the priests would have been living holy before the Lord, and they were not living holy at all. It was just a time of sin. It was hard to get the word of God. No one was preaching the word of God. And then God raised up a man by the name of Samuel, but he was a child at the time. And the Lord spoke unto him and said, you know, Samuel, and he rose up and went to Eli and said, here am I. You see this submissive spirit in him. He wasn't a man of pride. He wasn't a man of rebellion. He wasn't doing his own thing. Let me say this. Before he fulfilled the calling of God, he went to his authority. Before he fulfilled the calling of God, he went to his authority. See, and I know a lot of people, I've seen this, especially young people, they get called to preach and they're ready for, to serve God. In fact, Pastor mentioned this um, the other night that he was called to preach and he wanted to quit school and quit his job and everything else and wanted to preach. But he went to his dad and his dad told him, hey, this is how you need to do things. He went to his authority first before he went and served God. See, we, we live in a day and age where people, well, I want to serve God and they just do their own thing without following the proper channels of authority. And, and let me say this, there's authority within a home but there's authority within the local church. And the, the, the local church is an institution that God created that does have scriptural authority, but if we serve God and we try to do it outside of the local church, we're doing it outside the authority that God has given to us. Now, that doesn't mean we can't serve people. We can serve people everywhere we go. We can give a cup in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's as if we've done it unto Him. We're to be like that. But when it comes to the ministry of evangelism for, you know, going out and getting people saved and then getting them baptized and discipling them and so forth. That happens in the local church, amen? If, if you lead someone to the Lord outside of this place, at the job and so forth, it should be your number one goal to get them here, amen? And, and to get them trained so that they could go into those waters and get baptized and so forth and, and then follow the Lord and get discipled and, and so forth. And you see that, that that's the scriptural model. That's what we have here. And, and in the Old Testament, things were a little different because it wasn't go into all the world and preach the gospel. Um, Jerusalem was the place of worship and, and so forth. But there was still authority and people understood authority. And, and so Samuel, 
when he began to hear the, the Lord speak to him, he went to his authority first. And then he went to the Lord. After the authority said, go out and do what you believe God is calling you to do there. And so you see, he called him three times. And on the third time, he instead of going to Samuel, or excuse me, on the fourth time, he went three times. And on the fourth time, he said, instead of going to, to Eli, rather, he says, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And there was that submissive spirit. He wasn't rebellious. He went to the authority first. As God began to stir him, he said, man, I don't know what to make of this. I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know who's calling me. What's, what's going on here? And he, there, there was safety in going to the authority as God began to stir in him there. So you see this submissive spirit that's there. So he was set apart from birth. He had a submissive spirit. And lastly, this messenger of revival, man of purity, um, he stood for the Lord alone. You look at chapter number 3, verse number 19. It says, and Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did not, or excuse me, and the, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. The words of the Lord, and all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba um, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet, and the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, um, for the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And so you see, that's where it all started, when his mom was praying and seeking the Lord. But, but he, you see him, he stood before the, for the Lord alone. Again, everybody knew that Samuel was going to be the prophet. Everybody knew it. it was, he was established to be a prophet. He was going to be a spokesman for the Lord. And it said that he didn't let any of the words of the Lord um, fall to the ground. He, he, you know, if God said something, he preached it. Amen. And what that tells us is that he stood for God alone. When everyone around, remember, because we're reading in 1 Samuel chapter 7 here, we took a detour to look at the life of Samuel. But whenever he stands up and preaches to them, what does he tell them? Put away the gods from among you and Astaroth and serve him only. It says they put away Astaroth and, and Balaam and, and all those other gods that they worshipped. But Samuel never had to return because he never left. Amen. He, he lived for God all the days of his life. And you see that in his life there. He, he, he preached and he continued preaching and he was a prophet. And he went around judging people. And he had a circuit that he went around and preached the word of God there. And you see this man of purity, he stood for God alone. He wasn't distracted by the things of this world. He was solely dedicated unto God. And went to God that he would raise up people within Valley Bible Baptist Church. They say, this world isn't going to tell me what to do. Amen. I am going to live for God and He has first place and nothing is going to take away um, that position of God in my life. Nothing's going to come between me and God. Now let me, let me just say this here. As we consider the thought of preaching and listening to the messenger revival and being uh, under preaching and so forth, we can't miss church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I remember whenever I was into photography and we had church services on Thursdays, the best sunsets were always on Thursdays. And I wish I could go out and take a picture, but I had to be in the house of God. Why? Because that's where God told me to be. You know, I, I, I sometimes get on the internet and I'll see different people posting pictures of, of the fish they catch and where they're at. You know when the best days are that they're catching them? Wednesday night? And Sundays. It's always that way. But let me say this. God's more important to me 
than my hobbies. He's more important to me than that. I knew a preacher once that he was involved in sports and, and he wasn't a, a preacher at the time. He had just gotten saved and baptized and God was dealing with him and he was growing in the Lord and he played softball. And softball had games on Sunday. And one day the preacher um, of the church preached and said, you shouldn't be missing church for any of these different sporting events and all this kind of stuff. Right. I mean, the preacher preached that. And, and the man said, you know what? God's more important to me than some stupid ball and bat. Excuse the language, but that's what he said. And he went home, and he got his baseballs, he got his bats, he got his gloves, he got all the trophies that he won, everything. He went to the church dumpster, and they're supposed to have a game that Sunday. And he went to the church, opened up the dumpster, opened up his, uh, uh, the bed of his truck, got all that stuff out, and just threw it in the trash and said, this is not a God to me. I'm going to serve God. And that's what he did. And he was faithful to God, and now he's a pastor, and God's using him, and he's seen people get saved. And as I, I look at these things, being set apart, we need to stand for God. Someone needs to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not going to budge. Nothing's going to take me from God. Nothing's going to take me away from the house of God. I'm going to stand for God all the days of my life. And we see that that was the type of man that God used. Do you want God to use you in revival? You need to take that stand. Sometimes your family may not understand it. You know what? Love your family. Don't be mean to them about it, but take that stand. I learned this a long time ago. A person could be a hard preacher without being a hard person. I learned it, but that doesn't mean I always live by it. Amen? And I'm working on that. I really am as, as a person. I, I, you could be a hard preacher without being a hard person. I don't believe Samuel was a hard person, but he was probably one of the hardest preachers there ever was in the Bible. And you see him calling out the sin and bringing people back to God there. And we need to take that stand for the Lord as well. And you could be that voice for the Lord also. And so we'll go ahead and have a word of prayer and be dismissed. Father, as we come to you, Lord, I thank you for the example of Samuel in your word. Help us, I pray, Lord, to learn from this man of God and that we would seek you, Lord, and that we would seek you with all our hearts. And his message was return. God, his message was uh, to come back to you, Lord. And God, I pray that you'd help us to, to put away the things in our life that is keeping us from serving you, Lord, and from being faithful to you, Lord, that we would put those idols out of our lives. And God, we will serve you only. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So.